We've been studying Book of Ruth since the first Sunday of June, and the last week we saw for the first time three main characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We learned how God's providence weaves their life choices together. And though it seems a coincidence, it was God's providence that brought them together and allowed them to play their individual roles as best as they can. Today we will see the pick of their ensemble playing in chapter 3. I entitled today's message, Ensemble of a Loyal Love. Ensemble of a Loyal Love. And I'm very happy to share that finally we're getting into love story. My wife, Jamie, was uh, asking me you know, two weeks, since two weeks ago that, when is the love story going to happen? When is the love story happen? It's about to be happen. And uh, as you will see soon, the love story in chapter 3 is a complex and difficult, yet so beautiful, because we see the continuation of divine providence and in human participation. Speaking of God's providence, I believe that one area we need a God's providence more than any other area is the, that of a marriage. I confess that I'm grateful to God for every stage of my life, but I am doubly, triply, quadruply, infinitely grateful that God protected me when I was single and God graciously answered my prayer for the fitting marriage partner. And I, all the singles, my heart goes out to you and so does my prayer. I do pray for singles in our church every week. And sometimes it is a quiet challenge to get a man and woman together. I recently read about an ad in the local newspaper that reads, single blonde, female-seeking male companionship, ethnicity unimportant. I'm very good-looking girl who loves, L-O-B-E-S in capital letter, loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup trucks, hunting, camping, and fishing trips, cozy winter night, lying by the fire, candlelight dinner will have me eating out of your hand. Rub me the right way, and watch me respond. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work, wearing only what nature gave me. Kiss me, I'm yours. Call 414-875-6420. Ask for Daisy. Over 15,000 men called and found themselves talking to Atlanta Humane Society about an eight-week-old blonde laboratory a Labrador Retriever. Actually, it came from the Smart Marriage Newsletter, and the end of the article is that men so easy if we pay attention to their wants and needs. I feel like it's entrapment, but anyway. The ensemble of a loyal love, that which we're going to look at, has a three parts. And each place is a, is a music of love with a perfect harmony for glory of God and that challenges all of us. So let's read chapter 3, verse 1 to 18, responsively, and then let's go one by one, those beautiful parts. Verse 1, brothers, we'll read together, and sisters, uh, you'll read responsively. Let's go brothers together. One, two, three. 
One day, Ruth's father-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Wash your own perfume, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirit, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are guardian redeemer of our family. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of a noble character. Stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it, lie here until morning. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he brought out it, six measures of a barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. And added that he gave me the six measures of a barley, saying that don't go back to your mother-in-law's empty-handed. Let's read together. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So three, the ensembles of a loyal love, the three parts I'm talking about, I'll give you an outline ahead. One is a daring faith, daring faith. Second is a vulnerable love, and finally, trusting hope. Daring faith, vulnerable love, trusting hope. Who initiated the marriage project here today? It was uh, Naomi. Look at the verse 1. One day, the Ruth mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her. The fact that Naomi initiated the marriage prospect for her daughter-in-law, Ruth is uh, incredible in two ways. First of all, have you seen any mother-in-law playing the role of a matchmaker for widow daughter-in-law? Even in the modern world, you don't see those things. And this is what she is doing. And second of all, Naomi in chapter 3 is very different from Naomi that we saw in chapter 1. 
Earlier Naomi, who lost her husband and two sons, was so broken that she changed her name to Mara, which means bitterness, bitter. Actually, the, the name Naomi means, do you remember? Naomi means pleasant, pleasant. And last Sunday, we saw that God began to heal Naomi's bitterness through Ruth care and the Boaz generosity. And today, finally, we see Naomi began to believe in God again through daring faith. Naomi no more is dwelling in pity party. She is no longer kind of a, has this idea of a victim mentality. When people are in depression, when things not go well, that's what we, are, we do. But finally, Naomi is saying that God is working. Something is, God is gracious. And I want to remind you once again, it all came, I mean, today's a passage that one day, that means several weeks passed. And each day they survive by the, this, uh, the barley bread, whatever, the grain that uh, Boaz graciously, you know, share with them. And then, you know, little meal, little food that we share with other people, it can really open their hearts. Now, so Naomi, today's, uh, today's text introduced Naomi as a Ruth mother-in-law. Instead of Naomi, the Ruth mother-in-law is a Ruth, the mother-in-law Naomi. That means she is now taking a responsibility. And she is telling Naomi, uh, Ruth that it's time that we think about a permanent home for you. And then she said, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you are well provided. The original Hebrew word for home is a manoa, which means place of rest, place of rest. And the, test, uh, the scholars say that Naomi here is a finally becoming a person of a covenantal love, just like a Ruth and Boaz. And according to her own word, her primary concern is the well-being of a Ruth, the shalom of a Ruth. She wants to find the security and permanent home for Ruth. Why permanent home? Because she's old and she knows that she will die soon, or you know, sooner than listed Ruth, and she cannot leave Ruth alone. So Ruth said, I mean, uh, Naomi said, let's really think about your future. And then she suggests that Boaz is a relative of ours. Later, Ruth used the word, uh, the uh, uh, guardian, relative, redeemer. That means the Boaz is a potential solver of their situation. Ruth I mean, the boss' earlier kindness toward the Ruth sounded like a knock of opportunity at the widow's door. And now Naomi wants to say that maybe this is a man that God provided, and let's see. And Naomi suggested what? Let tonight there will be winnowing. Uh, tonight was a night of winnowing barley on the threshing hold. 
and uh, Boaz will be there. And you need to find him in the secluded spot where you can have uh, some very important private conversation with the boss away from the people. Uh, by the way, what is a winnowing? Uh, we need to know a little bit. We, none of us have an idea, no idea about uh, farm, much about uh, uh, of harvesting grain. So uh, harvesting grain takes a three, uh, three, three process. Once you're harvested, you bundle them and you save them later. And then second part is a threshing. Threshing is a you beating the grain with a hammer or sometimes you use an animal to trample on the grain. So you separate husk and the grain or chaff with the grain. And the winnowing is a final stage where you pick that the, uh, the, the whatever combination of a chaff and the grain and the you look, you throw in the air. And what happens is the wind takes the light, lighter material, chaff away, and the heavy grains fall. And the latter you just gather the grain. This is called the winnowing. And then to do the winnowing, you need a breeze. You need a good wind. And this also, you cannot do it during the daytime because have you done this kind of motion? You know, any kind of bending? Well, I just did a little bit of a gardening yesterday. And uh, less than 20 minutes, my back was already in pain and uh, I was uh, reeling. So they do at nighttime, evening time, or at least the second half of the, after the, you know, later in the day, and the coolness of a night. And that's why Naomi said, it's a winnowing time, and the boss will come and then supervise his uh, winnowing of his field, and he will be alone at, at the end. And that's when you talk to him. And much more, she said, verse 3, not just to talk to him, but before you talk to him, what? Wash. Take a bath. Prone perfume. There was no perfume invented by then. It's probably oil. You know, some oils, you know, pity or uh, body odor. And get dressed in your best clothes. Probably outer garment to cover her identity and go down to threshing hold, and don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go and uncover his feet, and then you talk to him, and he will tell you what to do. Now, this is very, very dangerous move. You know why? All that the, uh, Naomi suggested to Ruth was a very risky business. Because who goes to winnowing floor? What kind of woman goes to winnowing floor like this? Not a worker bee, not a woman who's working. You know, if you're going to work in the winnowing, you don't wear the best clothes and take shower. I mean, bath and all that because you're going to be, you know, trenched with sweat and everything. According to Hosea 9.1, this is what usually prostitutes do. So let me read. Hosea 9.1, Rejoice not, Israel, exalt not like a peoples, that means a pagans, Gentiles, for you play the whore, forsaking your God. You are, you are following the, uh, the pagan God. 
That's what, you know, Hosea is saying, that you are whole. And then he compares, you love the prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. So threshing floors, this is where the pay time for prostitutes. And that's what they do. They dressed up. They put on perfume. They seduced the men. And this is a kind of what, outwardly speaking, Naomi asked Ruth to do. What do you think? Now, a big question we have here is this. Why didn't Naomi, first time, I mean, you know, we all have that question, right? Why didn't you just go and talk to uh, boys about the Ruth? Or talk to towns, you know, people, so forth. Why didn't she talk? Why does she have to devise this kind of very risky, dangerous move? Let me tell you, first of all, most commentaries, they say, oh, we don't know exactly what's the process, you know, process of uh, whether it's a common, we don't know. And definitely it's probably not a common way to woman to meet girl because the way that uh, Naomi uh, uh, prescribed is a very, there's secrecy in operation, right? Actually, I call it Operation Boaz. You know? Naomi is sending Ruth in the very clandestine Operation Boaz. Now, why? Naomi went this way, I want to tell you very clearly. Naomi doesn't want just any husband for Boaz. I mean Ruth. Naomi doesn't want to just find any man for Ruth. Naomi loves Ruth so much, like her own daughter. When you love somebody, you don't want just any man or any average you know, solution. You want best. And Boaz seems to be the best man. They've known him for now several weeks, and now this is why Boaz is a target. Are we clear on this? When you love somebody, you seek the best for the person. You don't seek the average. That's what Naomi is doing. And now, about the Ruth. Ruth said, verse 5, I will do whatever you say. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing hall, did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do so. You know, this is a very short answer. Ruth said, I will do whatever you say. Ruth complied to Naomi completely. We don't know anything about regarding Ruth's motive, fears, expectation, or even her faith in God. But one thing we do know about Ruth is Ruth is what? Throughout the book, she is a risk taker. Didn't she forsake her own family and then join the people of Israel, even change the religion, even change the identity? Ruth, one thing we know about Ruth is a risk taker. It's a daring faith. And the, I'm somehow feel that Ruth and Naomi, they're all becoming risk taker. And I want to tell you something about risk taker. God uses risk taker. You want to change the world, you have to be risk taker. Throughout the Bible, the people that God used and rewarded richly, they are the risk takers. Look at the Abraham. He left his family, everything, his, his father's house, relatives, all the 
He left the Ur of Chaldea, crossed the, the Euphrates River, and came to undeveloped world of the time, Canaan. What about Moses? When finally Moses forgot all the trouble in Israel, Egypt and settled down in the Midian desert with a you know, loving wife and the children and everything, even named the children, named after I forgot all the trouble, God appeared to Moses, go back and save my people, bring my people at the age of 80. What about David? When everyone was afraid of a Goliath, this teenage boy said, I cannot stand this Philistine defying the name of our God, and I'm going to go and give him a lesson. I'm going to spank him. And everybody said, you don't know what you're talking about. But he stepped in, took the risk, and that's how David became shepherd of Israel. You know, you look at the, all the biblical characters. They are risk takers. Are you risk takers? Foresters, are you risk takers? Are we risk takers? Let me hear you sound. Are we risk takers? All right, let one person say yes. Let me ask you again. Are we risk takers? All right, I'm going to ask a third time. Are we risk takers? No risk, no reward. Remember that. No risk, no reward. And many Christians, after they receive Christ, they are so spoiled by the amazing grace of God, they become a complacent. They become a religious people. They live in the church, and they live with a Christian relationship. We build a church as a Hotel for sinners, a hotel for saints, while we're supposed to be hospital for sinners. So that's the first part. Let me move on to the second part. Now Boaz, verse 7, finished eating and drinking and was in good spirit. Oh, by the way, let me give you three tips to the sisters. You want to talk to your men? Feed them well. And then, you know, you can talk to them. That is a, a, a timeless wisdom, and actually in the Bible. And uh, again, he went over, lie down at the far end of a grain pile. Far end of a grain pile. And that's how Ruth approached him quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. You know, throughout this book, we see a lot of coincidence such as chapter 2, Ruth happened to be out of all the fields in Israel, Boaz field, right? And today, Boaz slept at the far end of a you know, pile, away from the people. We don't know exactly, but there is a providence of God. When you have a daring faith in God, God's providence comes for you. In the middle of the night, he was sleeping, and Ruth just lie down next to him. And then verse 9, Boaz, had, Boaz felt something 
You know, I kind of laugh at this because uh, middle of verse 8 said, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. We don't know exactly what that something is. I think it's, uh, it's almost like a smart Alex move of the writer. Whether, you know, uh, Ruth kind of uh, kicked him or we don't know exactly. But he startled. He woke up. Maybe he drank too much. He went to the restroom. And then he turned, lo and behold, a woman was lying in, at his feet. Once again, the word feet and legs and all this word is a very euphemism for male uh, genitals. And so she, he was shocked. Once again, he shows a Boaz character. If a Boaz was a very sinful, sensual man who used to sleep with a prostitute, he said, ah, here is another one. But what does he say? Who are you? And then Ruth said, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, and you are guardian redeemer of our family. Here Ruth said, I am your servant Ruth. And especially where spread the corner of your garment over me, you are our guardian redeemer of our family. Ruth was saying that I'm here because you're going to save us. You're going to redeem my family. You're going to redeem the Naomi's family name. And by the way, guardian, rede uh, guardian redeemer of a family of a relative. Uh, back then, we're talking about world. I'll, I'll go in more detail next week. But it is the closest kinsman supposed to redeem whoever lost the fortune of the family especially widow's family, their land, and then in case they are so poor and they sold themselves, become a slave, they're supposed to buy them from the slavery and possibly even buy the land back. So Ruth was saying that you are our kinsman and now do your duty and save us and restore our family, family of Naomi. And also, earlier verse, spread your wings over your servant. You know, spread your wings. Earlier in the chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said to Ruth that you now came under the wings of Yahweh. And this skirt and the wings is the same word. So what Ruth was saying that, Boaz, keep your word. Didn't you say earlier? that I came to the, under the protection of a God, your God, Yahweh, now you be my protector as you bless me. So Ruth was a keeping Boaz to his word. And what is a both is, a, a Ruth is doing here is an incredibly bold. About that one commentator said this, here is a servant demanding that her boss marry her, a Moabite making demand of an Israelite, a woman making demand of a man, a poor person making demand of a rich man. Was this an act of a foreigner's naivete, or daughter-in-law's devotion to a mother-in-law, or another sign of a hidden hand of God? From a natural perspective, the scheme was doomed from the beginning as a hopeless gamble. And responsibility Naomi placed on Ruth was quite unreasonable. It was overly bold. Overly bold. 
This is my second point. You know, Ruth was old. But I think she was not a bold like the we imagine bold. Do you think Ruth was a bold, demanding, like a righteous voice that you are a kinsman and marry me kind of you know, way? I bet her voice was a trembling. She can speak loud, first of all, because there are other people, even though a little bit away. And more than anybody, she knows that uh, there is social economy, whatever positional gap between her and boys. And look at the verse 11. Boaz tell Ruth that my daughter, what did he say? Do not be afraid. Why do you think he said do not be afraid? Because I bet what, while Ruth was telling Boaz, her voice was uh, trembling with the fear because practically, she is acting like a prostitute, even though intention is much more than that. And Boaz could easily take advantage of this situation, even though she knew Boaz. But you never know when man and woman in this kind of a compromising situation, who knows what happened? I heard some horrible story about the day rape. You know? This can happen. Horrible thing can happen. Sisters, be aware. Don't put yourself like a, you know. I think when Boaz said to Ruth that do not be afraid. Don't be fear. Don't fear. It simply confirms that Ruth was a very fearful. And here is again, reveals that courage is not absence of a fear but an act in spite of a fear. And faith and love always involves fear. There is a fear factor. And especially love, there is always a vulnerability. When you love somebody, you cannot love just, you know, boldly. Any love involves a humility and vulnerability. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Four Loves, talks about love in this way. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, your heart will be certainly be wrong and, wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make, it, uh, make sure of uh, keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully round with uh, hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglement. Lock it up safe at the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it'll change. It'll not be broken. It'll be unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of a tragedy, is a damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and the uh, perturbations of a love is hell. What do you think? Hell is a safest place for yourself. This is, I, you know, I, I totally agree with C.S. Lewis. To love is to risk yourself and make yourself vulnerable. Because love means potential rejection, potential hurt, potential misunderstanding. 
not potential, very much sacrifice assumed. So not to love is the safest way, almost selfish way. C.S. Lewis quote, hell is a nothing but alternative to love. And I agree. You know, Christian tradition, especially medieval Christian tradition of uh, hell, I talk a little bit about hell. We think uh, hell is uh, like a tormented place, right? Yes, there is a tormenting part. But do you know why Bible talks about hell as a, you know, uh, Gehana, which is a burning place? When Bible talks about hell as a Gehana, the fire is uh, talking about a worthlessness. That's what it's talking about. Gehana is not just any place to burn back then or even today. People burn garbages. Gehana was a place of a dumping garbage and burning garbage. It's a garbage disposal. So when Bible talks about hell as a fireplace, talking about life is not worth, worthlessness. But in the medieval Christian tradition, such as Dante's Divine Comedy, presented hell as what? Frozen inferno, frozen lake, cold place. That's why C.S. Lewis' you know, novel, the children's novel, Chronicle of Narnia, the witch, when witch ruled on Narnia, Narnia was the worst season of the year, was winter. When witch was gone, spring comes back. Why? Hell is a nothing but a selfishness and selfish love that throws itself away from others. Now, do you risk vulnerability to love other people? True love means vulnerable. You know, this week I met many our leaders who are discouraged. And uh, even though I, I took it as a God's call to pray more, I said, oh yeah, God is uh, alarming my prayer call here. Yes, but at the same time, many of their struggles about loving difficult people, and I was, in a way, felt this is uh, what God called us. This is, ex I mean, you know, Anytime God placed uh, difficult people in my life and the unlovable people in my life, you know what happened? God exposed my limit of love. God really exposed me. And then I began to pray for myself more than the other person. And guess what happened? You know, a miracle happens that I began to love these people. Do you know some of you are those people? Don't bet yourself, you think you are great? You are not. You are the one, I'm sorry, some of you say, Pastor Paul, you are the one of those people to me. <laughs> I say, I'm not surprised, I'm a sinner. I can rob you in the wrong way. We are mutually, you know, bothering. But good news is that through that, God's grace not only exposed our limit of love, but it increased, fills us with his love. Hallelujah! When we love one another, we risk vulnerability. We risk rejection. Sometimes we get misunderstanding. Isn't that what Christ went through his life? 
Why do you think you love other people and you expect a you know, commendation and oh, you are a great Christian? No. Oftentimes, shepherds, listen to me. The people in your house church, they are black sheep. They are pain in the, I'm sorry, rear. But that's the love is. I failed today miserably. This is one of the worst Father's Day that I, I will remember. I'll tell you more in detail. Two weeks from now, I know why. But anyway, point is, every time we fail to love, good news is, that is not a failure permanent. God, through our failed love, he is growing us. Amen? You know, our house church sharing, what is the house church sharing? We're not just talking about mundane, that, you know, mundane life of the week. We are talking about our heart. What really made me happy? And is that something related to God or totally unrelated? Doesn't matter. We get naked. We risk a vulnerability every Friday when we share about week, highs and lows. And then we ask each other to pray and cover each other with a prayer. And that's how God heals us and forgives us. Amen. Let me go quickly to the third point. The boys. What is a boy's response? Boaz said, Ruth, he said to Ruth, Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I'll do uh, for you all you ask. Now, Boaz, what does he mean, Boaz? Say, your kindness is greater than the one you showed earlier. He was talking about Ruth forsaking his family and people and leaving his country and to come with a Naomi, the land of Israel, to show her kindness to mother-in-law who lost everything. Your earlier... What you did for your, your mother-in-law was great. But what you are doing now, you marry you, you willing to marry me, this old guy, it is greater than what you did earlier. And then Boaz here recognized that you could have easily picked a younger man, whether rich or you know, poor. And the whole town people know you are the woman of a great character. I want to say, brothers and sisters, we need to remember one thing. Boaz is a definitely high above, higher than Ruth in many ways, socially, economically, even gender-wise, back then it was a big deal. But the way that Boaz responds to Ruth, he totally see her as his equal. Because the word here, your woman of a noble character, earlier in chapter 2, verse 1, when he represents Boaz, he's a man of a great standing or great wealth. It's a similar. So Boaz is as much as I'm a man of a great position or great standing, you are a woman of a great character. 
By the way, this word, the woman of a great character, is exactly the same word as a proverb 30, uh, which one is it? Proverb 31, which is said the, a wife of a noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. In the Hebrew Bible, Jewish Bible, do you know Book of Ruth follows Book of Proverbs? In, in Christian Bible, it's between the Judges and the First Samuel, but in the Hebrew Bible, Jewish Bible, it's right after the proverb. Why? Because Jewish people think Ruth is an embodiment of a woman of a noble character. Ruth is a woman of a noble character. And Boaz recognized Ruth's inner quality, and then he was so Grateful. The Ruth, even though you might be poor and foreigner, but I see you as an equal. Brothers, do we see our wives as our equal? Wives, let me ask you, sisters, do you see your husbands as your equal? I ask this because that's not how I feel sometimes. And we have to remember, our spouses married us by providence of God and temporary insanity called the uh, blindness of love. Thank God, in the perfect time, they became blind. Now they say everything, but it's okay. God still uses everything, so it's okay. We will be an iron sharpening iron kind of relationship. But point is, Boaz was such a man of a character. And then he said, Ruth, do not be afraid. I'm, once again, he's saying that I'm not going to. Do you think, you know, by the way, they had a, I think, whatever, those, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't think so, because the first thing came out of his mouth, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You know, when you bless other person, you don't, you don't commit the sin. You don't do those horrible, I mean, you don't, you don't fornicate while blessing each other. I mean, loudly. And Boaz said, the amazing thing as Boaz is this. Then he said, but there is a, another person who is a closer kin than I, and we have to make sure that we do this properly. This is my most point about Boaz. Boaz was not man of instinct or sensuality that once you know, Ruth expressed a desire for him, he said, yes, I also liked up and thought about you and then you know, jumped on her and finished the whatever game. No, Boaz said, Ruth, I'm so grateful for your offer, but we have to do properly. Sisters, find the man who puts the God's principle above their desires. This is a kind of man that you should look for. Because if a man doesn't obey God, what do you think they will care for you later in your life? Same thing. Brothers, look for the woman of a noble character or faith. Because if they don't love God, what do you think they're going to love you? I mean, they might love you now, but do you think they continue to love you once they found out all the fakeness about you? Faith is a very important thing. 
And the faith that Boaz expresses is that a trusting hope. Boaz loves Ruth, no doubt about that, grateful and excited about her. Yet Boaz said, we have to do properly. And then what did they do the rest of the night? They waited till the morning. I don't know, I think both of them could have slept all night. Once Boaz said, Ruth, stop. We need to make sure that this is a properly done. And then once the kinsmen closer to you say, no, that I can move in. And that allowed a million thoughts racing in their mind. Boaz probably was thinking about, oh, what am I gonna say to the man in the morning, the nearest kinsman. And Ruth is wondering what will happen. And also Ruth was anxious about, how can I live here quickly before sun comes out and people see us? And verse 15, Boaz said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured out it six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Look at the verse conclusion. Verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked her, how did it go, my daughter? I bet another person who couldn't sleep all night was Naomi praying and pacing back and forth, you name it. Prayer constantly came out of our mouth. And looking out the window, worrying and hoping. So first thing came out of my mouth was, what happened? And Ruth said, she told everything Boaz has done for her and added that he gave me the six measures of a barley. We don't know how exactly the six measures meant, I mean much and saying that do, do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. When was the last time you heard the empty-handed? In verse 1, when Naomi came, to, came back to Israel, she told people that I went out full with a husband and two sons. Now I'm coming back with a, this Moabite daughter-in-law and the old man in our household died. And she said, what? I came back empty-handed. God, I went out full, but God brought me back empty-handed. And when Ruth, Naomi heard that Boaz said to Ruth, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed, what do you think you know, Naomi, and Ruth, Naomi felt? He knew that God is using Boaz. God knows her emptiness, and God is filling it up. So what's the Naomi's response? Verse 18, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happened. For the man will not rest until the matters is settled today. This is the last time we hear from Ruth and Naomi. We don't hear their voice anymore. In chapter 4, we don't hear their voice. This is the last time we hear their speaking. Why? Because both Naomi and Ruth, they have done everything they could. They've done everything best as they could. They've done the best, and they left the rest to God. And that rest 
is in chapter 4, which will come next week and see the, this incredible ending. The point is this. In providence of God, Book of Ruth is about the providence of God. And uh, we define the providence as a divine guidance and governance in our life. You know, when guide us, when God guides us or providentially leads us, there are a lot of things we don't see. Even though you did your best, still there's an obstacle, like today's story. There is still, it's not done deal. Operation Boaz ended successfully, yet it's not finished because there is another kinsman who have to agree with them. Even after you have done your best, things are not done. That's the life. Then what do you do? Leave the rest to God and move on. And then just as Naomi said, you rest. The man will not rest. I think we can say this. When you, when you have done your best, rest because God will do the rest. He will not rest until all is done. Hallelujah. We're going to sing song. Our dedication song is that my fear does not stand the chance. Last week, this song was resonating in my heart throughout the week. Because key verse in this song is, my fear does not stand the chance when I stand in God's love, in your love. You know, fear and faith, not only opposite of each other, it's intrinsic of each other. Faith is always manifested in the midst of a fear. Faith and fear go together, and the fear always expose, exposes the limit or extent of our faith. And Bible said, perfect love, which is God's love, casts out the fear in us. Brothers and sisters, what kind of fear do you have in your life about your future or your present? Stand on God's love. Stand on God's love. Where is your faith? What is the foundation of your faith? I pray as we sing this song that, Lord, I'm standing on you. I'm standing on your resurrection power, your undying love for me. Anchor my faith in your love so that I can cast out fear and glorify your name. Let's all stand and sing this dedication song as a prayer.